My friend, John. John and I grew up together here in India. We were the twin heads of the brat pack and there was no mischief under the sun we hadn't got up to. Until my parents yanked hard on the reins and hauled me in, kicking and screaming. Fortunately, I discovered a knack for studying and that juggernaut developed its own momentum seeing me through a fairly distinguished career. John's family emigrated to Australia. The International Post, not email in those days, cost too much even with copy paper, and those red and blue diagonally border-striped par-avion envelopes, and we were too young, and we lost touch. I can't think how I came across his email address a few months ago, but we connected again and have been toing and froing since then. Yesterday, I got a message from... But I'm putting the cart before the horse. Let me share some of his letters with you. I think you'll get the drift. George Mann, this was one of his early ones. I'm always happy to receive your emails, so stop the blasted apologizing. Whether they are too frequent or not frequent enough is irrelevant. And the only thing that irritates is your constant apologizing. So quit it already. I remember your brother and sister. But all of you seem to have had lots of kids. And they've had lots of kids. So it's quite a merry bunch in those family photos. If my old mum had heard me say that, I'd have earned myself the pasting of my life. Attracting the evil eye on you, she'd have said. Even Sylvie, my wife, says it's bad form. She's born and brought up here in sunny Sydney. Never seen the shores of India. But honestly, sometimes she's just like my mum. Sylvie always wanted a large family. So though that wouldn't have been my choice, we had four. Two boys and two girls. You were asking about my sister. But I'm not much in touch with Jennifer anymore. She went off to Perth and it's right across the country and somehow we've just drifted apart after the old folks passed on. People don't realize how large Australia is. It's a five-hour flight from Sydney to Perth. That's halfway from Bombay to London, which is probably what you understand. She has two little girls. Perhaps not so little anymore but I still see them in their knee socks. Our youngest, Robin, is mastering in marine biology. She's a clever thing and earned herself a scholarship and all, but it's still a pretty packet. No need to tell you that education is always a thing to invest in. Robin used to be interested in the slimy stuff from the sea, even when they were just kids. She would root through the little pools left behind by the tide and tell us the life stories of all the creepy crawlies. I'd nod off after a bit. But Sylvie has the patience of Job. Must come of her being a teacher herself, though now she's retired, of course. John Jr. has just dropped in, so I'll sign off now and keep the family saga coming in installments. Write whenever you can, but cut the carping on bothering me or I'll just have to take the slow boat back to India and beat it out of you myself. Cheers, John. I kept the ball aloft from my end 
updating John about my family. He was right, we were big on education. And we counted many professors, doctors and engineers amongst our number. Nowadays, the kids wanted to study strange things like sports medicine or airport management. But truth be told, I'm just glad it's still medicine and management. Call me old-fashioned. John had two sons, John Jr. and Benjamin, and two daughters, Martha and Robin. Junior and Martha were both married and had two kids each. Martha lived with her family in the, wait for this, out back. And I was all agog to hear about her life. Perhaps it wasn't exactly Neville shoot. Things must have progressed. But if you live on a hundreds of acres ranch out in the back of beyond, then flying doctors and such like are bound to be part of your life. It was too fascinating. Junior lived in Sydney and often dropped in on his parents. He was a professional electrician and plumber. But it seems he drove up to work in his own Mercedes SUV. So he was obviously making good moolah. Junior loves it when people try to do a complicated job themselves, John wrote. Most of them don't even have the tools, let alone the skills for the job. His toolboxes are his most precious possessions. He has one for plumbing and a separate one for the electrical. If Ben or I want to borrow something, he gets snooty and prefers to do the job himself rather than let us savages touch his precious tools. Which is what we would have wanted in the first place, but were too sneaky to ask. He's damn efficient and highly capable and he charges a king's ransom, though not us, of course. He keeps his family in style and owns his own home. So it's no use being superior about him, George. This is a different country with different norms and customs. He certainly had my number there. I felt properly admonished. Plumbers didn't get much respect or much money here. But since I'd never fixed a leaking tap or changed a fuse in my life, I shouldn't be the one to sneer. My wife, Perry, often joked that I held the torch while she re-threaded the fuses in the middle of the night. And I always maintained she was damn lucky I even held the torch for her. Good thing we have the automatic fuse things now, like a switch they are. Let me not misrepresent myself. I don't have certain life skills. John had worked a number of jobs but finally ended up running his own bar. Not, I admit, a most honourable profession. Nevertheless, I don't think I could have taken such a risk. A steady monthly salary was more my style. Even though one would think cash would just flow in as the booze flowed out, especially in Australia, where even daytime drinking was so normal. Yet every business has risk. And it seemed John had made a go of his. Strangely, none of his kids had been interested in running it. But I suppose they all had their own careers. So finally, he'd sold out to a young couple, though he still went in a few hours every evening. I loved that place, he wrote. I'll always love it. With the fine dark wood and gleaming metal fixtures, 
I love standing behind that solid wood counter and wiping it till it's smooth and dry. I love polishing the glasses and setting them out in orderly rows all gleaming and glinting as they catch the light. The range and variety of the stacked bottles, they are my pride and joy. And the customers, the regulars and the walk-ins, you need to be a bit of a philosopher to enjoy this kind of work. People unburden themselves to a barman. He's safe. The way he spoke about that bar made me wistful. It was so wonderful that he could still go back. It kept him in touch with the most meaningful part of his life. For myself, I'd retired after numerous extensions and that was it. I had no connection with the main work of my life anymore. I pottered around a bit, but it didn't engage my whole mind or my heart or my passions. I almost felt jealous that John could have this pleasure every day. His grandkids were a constant source of joy to him, as mine were to me. Since John Jr. lived close by, he met those kids often. Not Martha's though. They connected over Skype. And though it was regular, even frequent, it's not the same as a tight hug or even a personal chat. The computer's a barrier to people our age. We learn to deal with it, but we never completely forget it's there, watching and recording everything forever and ever. Sometime last year, when Junior's family was over for Sunday lunch, we were reminiscing about how his boys learned to ride their bicycles. They had trainer wheels, but they were still scared, especially Jem, the older one. So I held on to the back of his bike and ran with him down the driveway. He'd never know when I peeled off and he was on his own. And the first time he noticed it, he was furious with me. When I told him he'd already done about a dozen solo rides, he got all puffed up with pride and wanted to try it completely on his own. Came a cropper, didn't he? And mad as a wet hen he was at me. But I made him get up, dust himself off and try again. And before he knew it, he was whizzing around on the bike as if he'd been born on it. I'd send John photos of my family, but he didn't seem to know how to send images by email. And so I hadn't seen any of his pictures. He was proud of his Ben too, who was a university professor. But I think Robin, his youngest, was his favourite. I found it odd how he'd so completely lost touch with Jennifer though. I wasn't going to probe, but I can admit to being curious. She was his elder sister and she'd been kind to him growing up. And to me, seeing as how we were together most of the time. It was decidedly odd. And so the two of us were slowly bringing each other up to date with our lives and I'd been thoroughly enjoying reconnecting with my old buddy again. And then, as I started to say earlier, I got an email from Jennifer. Dear George, John passed away last week. I hadn't seen him in ages but they had a number to contact me at. I learned that recently he'd been in touch with someone from India and that it had made him very happy. So I checked his emails. 
Imagine my surprise when I discovered it was you. I've been reading your exchange of mails this last weekend. That sounds terribly officious, I realize as I type it. But perhaps you'll understand when I explain. In Australia, my always mischievous brother John had turned into a drunken derelict. He didn't do a decent day's work in his life and he used and abused and tricked every family member, including even my girls, and exhausted all the stores of love and affection we had for him. We finally cut off contact with him for good. He brought nothing but tears and shame to my parents and they died mistakenly blaming themselves for failing him. I've been paying a social worker a weekly stipend to provision him. Nothing was ever given to him new. He would sell it for money for drink even if he hadn't eaten in a week. I cannot express the shame and sorrow I feel detailing all this sordid stuff to you. His emails were a total bunch of lies. It was a completely fabricated world, peopled with characters who never existed, except perhaps in his mind. He could never even look after himself, let alone a wife and four kids. And his make-believe business would have to have been a bar, since that was probably the only world he knew. Though the one he painted for you was as far out of his reach even as a customer, as the moon. But I got a glimpse of my brother, the orderly thinker, the passionate life lover, the engaging and friendly fellow he used to be, that I haven't seen in ages. Into those mails he poured perhaps the whole of his frustrated hopes and ambitions for himself and his dreams for what might have been. You can never know what a wonderful thing you did for him, George. You believed him. And so you gave John a chance to remake himself in an image he wanted, unburdened by the torment and misery he'd created for himself and for all of us, yet without the need to actually have the strength and discipline to see it through. You gave him a chance to be happy. And you gave him a shot at dignity, false though it was. I can never thank you enough for that. My good wishes to your brother and sister and all your family. You were the one I remember the most from the old days in India. You too were such a pair of wicked rascals. I'm glad to hear that you've all prospered. Thank you for remembering me. My two girls are doing very well, both married and with kids of their own, settled in stable jobs and relationships. John has made me appreciate stability a great deal. I can hardly believe that inside the shambling derelict that he had become, there was still the beautiful John of old. And you gave him back to me, even if only at second hand. For that, you will be blessed in my prayers forever. With warm regards, fond memories and undying gratitude, Jennifer Lawson, nay Brady. What can I say? I have no words to say to that. But that's the true story of my friend.
John.